Well, good morning, church. Thank you so much for joining us online today. And just want to give you a quick reminder as we get started here. At the end of this message, we're going to share in a time of communion. So if you want to get your elements ready, uh, be ready. We're going to do it right as I close the service. Um, But I want to start out with a word of prayer, if we could. Father God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, Lord God, for your love for us. I thank you, Lord God, for your presence in the midst of this message. I pray that you would uh, make it all that you want it to be. I pray that you would anoint my heart to preach it in a way that would connect with other hearts, that would help people to realize your love for them like they've never realized it before. I just give you praise for the opportunity I have to minister in your word. I pray that uh, you would just do something supernatural through this message. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. One of my favorite holidays, Thanksgiving, is coming up in a few short days. On Thursday, Thanksgiving will be here. Kind of reminds me of a joke I heard about this large dog who walks into a butcher shop one day carrying a purse. He's carrying a purse and he walks right up to the meat case and he sets the purse down and he's staring right into the meat case and the butcher behind the uh, counter kind of jokingly says, "Hey, hey, what's up, buddy? Can I get you some meat? The dog barks, woof. So he says, well, what kind of uh, meat do you want? Do you want some liver? Do you want some bacon? Do you want some steak? Woof, barks the dog. How much steak do you want? Half a pound or a pound? Woof, barks the dog. The butcher uh, wraps up a pound of steak, and he takes it around the counter, puts it in the purse, and takes the money out for the steak. And The dog picks up his purse and heads out the door. Well, as he's heading out the door, the butcher realizes this is the most amazing dog I've ever met in my life. He says, I'm going to find out where he lives and who who owns this dog. So he follows the dog around the block, down a few blocks to an apartment house, and the dog climbs three flights of stairs. And when he gets on the third floor, he goes down the hallway and starts scratching on a particular apartment door. Well, after a while, uh, the door flies open, and this guy comes out hollering and angry at this dog, yelling at the dog. And about that time, the butcher steps out and says, Sir, don't yell at that dog. That's the most intelligent dog I've ever seen in my life. The guy looks at the butcher and says, Intelligent? What do you mean? It's the third time this week that he's left the house and forgot his key. Anyway, I'm just saying he didn't appreciate that very smart dog. He wasn't thankful for his dog. When I think about Thanksgiving, we get to celebrate Thanksgiving this week. It's an opportunity. We get to celebrate. And I love the smell of uh, Thanksgiving. The smell's coming out of the kitchen, and I can't wait to plop down with my family around that table to uh, uh, partake in the great Thanksgiving feast. Every year I say the same thing to myself. You probably do too. Hey, you don't have to eat as much this year. Moderation is your friend. Well, but the second I walk into the dining room, all bets are off. Amen? My point is Thanksgiving isn't just about food. It's not about your Black Friday deals. It's not about watching football all day. It's not about taking that big nap. It's about thanksgiving. It's about giving thanks to God for all He is and who He is and all that He's done. My only concern is are we remembering the thankful part of thanksgiving? Are we remembering the most important part of thanksgiving? I heard a true story from years ago about a ministerial student named Edward Spencer who lived in Evanston, Illinois, and he was part of a life-saving squad. And in 1860, he was part of a rescue and recovery mission 
because a ship went aground on the shores of Lake Michigan near Evanston, and Edward Spencer waded in time and time again through the icy waters of Lake Michigan and rescued 17 passengers. But in the process, he damaged his own health permanently. Some years later at his funeral, it was noted that not one of the people that he had rescued ever thanked him. Not one. Seventeen people were rescued. He saved their lives, and not one thanked him. And it was because of that very rescue that his health was permanently damaged. Sounds a whole lot like the story that we uh, read about in Luke chapter 17, verse 11. And it's probably one of the most famous Thanksgiving messages uh, that you've ever heard in the Bible. Uh, I happen to love this text. I've preached from it many times. But I want to start reading in verse 11. It says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into the village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Let me talk about leprosy for a minute. If you don't know much about leprosy, leprosy is the oldest recorded disease going. I mean, it's probably one of the most, throughout history, the most dreaded diseases too because it's contagious. They didn't have a cure for it. And the results of leprosy in somebody's life are nightmarish. I mean, they're horrendous. They, people ended up with clawed hands, missing fingers, missing ears, missing nose, nose uh, missing nose, missing ears, uh, ulcerated feet. You could have paralyzed limbs. You could have blindness. You could have every conceivable kind of crippling effect from leprosy. But one of the worst things about leprosy was that it killed your sense of pain your sense of feeling, because it attacked your nerve cells. You know, you could put your hand on a hot stove and not even know your hand's on that hot stove. You could burn your hand off and not know it. There's some reports of some lepers that had had their fingers literally eaten off by rats in the middle of the night while they were sleeping because they had no awareness. They had no feeling. They had no pain receptors in their hands. Leprosy was also, as I mentioned, contagious. And since the priests in the Old Testament were responsible for the health of their camp, it was their duty to expel or readmit lepers. Moses talks about this in Leviticus chapter 13, verse 2. Listen to what he says. When anyone has a swelling or a rash or a shiny spot on their skin that may be a defiling skin disease, they must be brought to Aaron, the priest, or to one of his sons who is a priest. The priest is to examine the sore on the skin... And if the hair in the sore has turned white and the sore appears to be more than skin deep, it is a defiling skin disease. When the priest examines that person, he shall pronounce them ceremonially unclean. Let me just say, you didn't want to be pronounced unclean. This is why there were leper colonies. These were places that were set up for these lepers to go uh, to be cast out to to live with other lepers. When I think about that, I can't think of a more nightmarish situation than to have to go show yourself to a priest, to have him declare you unclean. None of us would ever want to hear those words. It would have been a fate worse than death. Beth Moore, a great woman of God in her book, Jesus, the One and Only, tells about a time when she was near uh, a leper colony. She had always had it in her heart that one day she wanted to minister, literally minister to those that were hurting and dying in a leper camp, uh, minister the love of God to those people. 
Well, on one of her trips overseas, she had that very opportunity. She came really close to one of those places. In fact, she came so close to the leper camp that she was able to walk past the gate three times. She tried to coax herself to go in all three times, but she just couldn't. And the reason she couldn't is the smell overwhelmed her. The stench of those rotting bodies overwhelmed her. She uh, couldn't work up the stomach, you might say, to go into this colony. She couldn't bear the thought of not ministering to the, these people the love of Jesus, but at the same time, she couldn't bear the thought of getting in there and getting violently ill, standing next to these people whose bodies were literally rotting away. She re was reported later on as saying she was ashamed of herself for not being able to go into that leper colony. I want to cut Beth Moore some slack because I don't know probably any of us that would probably have gone into that leper colony. It would have been so bad. That disease was so awful and one that was feared immensely. Think about it. There was no cure for it. I mean, if you heard the diagnosis that you had leprosy, I'm sure fear would flood over your heart. Imagine just waking up one morning and seeing a little pale spot on your skin and trying to ignore it. And that night you come in and, and you take a shower and you notice some more spots on your arm and you decide, I'm going to try to cover this up. I'm going to disguise it. I'm going to wear long sleeves. Well, no matter how hard you try to disguise it, eventually somebody's going to find out. It's going to be revealed, maybe to your husband, to your wife, your mother. Somebody at work's going to notice it. And then you've got that dreaded trip to the priest to be examined. Um, and then to have that awful, dreadful diagnosis of unclean. You've got leprosy. Would have been a horrible moment. Think about what would happen next. Your belongings would have to be quickly bundled together. No one in your family would be able to kiss you goodbye. Think about it. Your neighbors would all shut themselves in as you walked away from your home and your family down your neighborhood road toward that leper colony for the, for the last time to spend the rest of your days with other lepers. It would have been a horrible situation. Maybe it would have been so bad that the only hope that you would have had was to eventually just die. God, just let me die. None of your family would have come to bury you. They might not even know that you've died. And in fact, they might not have wanted to know if you've died. Mainly because you brought, you brought such shame on your family. Because the whole community is wondering what in the world, what kind of hideous sin did you commit to deserve such a fate as leprosy? That's kind of how they thought of things back then. But if you had leprosy, when anyone would come anywhere near you, you had to scream out, unclean, unclean, so that they wouldn't come near you and get infected by you. That's what we're seeing in this text. We're seeing these ten lepers standing at a distance from Jesus and asking Jesus for mercy. What does Jesus do? Look at verse 14. It says, when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. So Jesus, in this case... He hollers back at these lepers and says, go show yourselves to the priest. Remember the scripture I read in Deuteronomy a minute ago? They had to go show themselves to the priest to ever be readmitted back into civilization. But think about it. If Jesus hadn't sent those lepers to the priest, there would have been no way of them realizing the miracle that was about to take place. And keep in mind, at the time he tells them to go see the priest, they still were unclean. They still had leprosy. But I love this next part. 
the second part of verse 14. And as they went, did you catch that? And as they went, they were cleansed. They were healed as they went. Not before, not after. That also means as they went, they still had leprosy. How do you suppose they felt when Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priest? I'm thinking they're probably thinking, go show what to the priest? We don't have anything to show to the priest. We are still leprous. Can you imagine these ten lepers? Can you imagine them full of disease, their dirty, stinking clothes, their rotting bodies saying, well, okay, I'm wondering why in the world we're going to see the priest because we still have leprosy. But I believe Jesus was teaching them a greater lesson, and I believe it's a lesson that we all need to understand about faith today. It was the act of going. It was the act of them going that was the act of faith. It really didn't matter how they felt about it. It didn't matter what they thought about it. God honored their going in spite of their doubts. He honored their act of faith in spite of their doubts, and I'm sure they all had doubts. I heard this quote one time that says, Our faith moves mountains when our faith moves us. Did you catch that? Our faith moves mountains when our faith moves us. I picture these guys walking back to the very city that they were expelled from or cast out of. But I can just imagine these guys as they're walking along and Jesus has already given them the command to go to the priest, show themselves. All of a sudden, they're, they're starting to think, wait a minute, I'm getting some feeling in my fingers. I'm getting some feeling in my hands. I'm starting to feel my toes and my feet again. And maybe they're looking down and they're seeing some, uh, where some sores used to be. And those sores are drying up and where some skin isn't anymore, all of a sudden there's new skin. Can you imagine the joy that would flood over your heart at that moment to see such a miracle happening, especially maybe if you've been in that leper colony for a long time? But you've got to remember this. They actually had to step out in faith first. They had to step out in faith before they received that gift of healing. Let me ask you today, how much are you trusting God? How much are you putting your faith in God? Is your trust in God so strong that you can act on what He says even before you see it happen? Put yourself in their shoes. But look at verse 15. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked Him. And he was a Samaritan. Luke literally says he fell on his face before Jesus. He fell on his face before Jesus. Even some of you out there that I might nicely call the frozen chosen. You love God, you serve God, you know God, but you just do it in a quieter way. At that moment, if you had gone through what that uh, leper had just gone through, I believe even the frozen chosen would have their own Pentecostal shouting session moment. Amen? I believe we all would. Think about this guy. He's just been healed of leprosy. I mean, that doesn't happen every day. If it ever happens, he's just been healed of this hideous disease. But put, think out loud a little bit. This guy could have been in a leper colony for, say, 20 years. 20 years separated from his family, from his wife, from his kids. Nobody had come to see him. He couldn't go see them. Maybe separated from his friends, his community, civilization. Cut off from everything. And all of a sudden, he's healed. All of a sudden, his body is made whole. The leprosy is gone. Look at verse 17. 
Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Hallelujah. When Luke adds, adds that he is a Samaritan, we need to step back and realize what he's saying. Samaritans didn't like Jews, and Jews didn't like Samaritans. In fact, they hated each other. Jews hated the Samaritans because they looked at them as a mixed race of people, as Jews intermingling or intermarrying with uh, uh, people of other faiths, other religions. They looked at the Samaritans as being idolatrous. So think about this guy. This guy has two strikes against him. He's got a double whammy going against him. Number one, he's a Samaritan. And number two, he has leprosy. Then what happens? Of those ten that were healed, only one came back to say thanks. And it was this Samaritan, which raises, a, I, I think, the most important point of this whole message. Gratitude, people, is a choice. It's not something that we automatically extend. It's not something that we automatically feel even toward God. And we do see this over and over again, not only in the Scriptures, but I believe, if we'd be honest, we'd see it in our own lives each and every day. I see it in mine. You know, we can believe in God and still not be grateful to God. Did you catch that? We can believe in God and say we believe in God and still not be grateful to God. Most of you out there, I, I'm sure you believe in God. Uh, maybe you're not walking as close to Jesus as you want. Maybe you're not sure you want to walk that close to Jesus, but you're no atheist is what I'm saying. But having faith in God isn't the same as being grateful to God at all. There's a big difference. Think about these ten lepers. All ten of these lepers had faith. They believed Jesus could heal them. We know that because they all stood at a distance and they cried out, Jesus, have mercy on us. And what did Jesus say? Go show yourselves to the priest. When you hear that, you might think, that's a weird response from Jesus. I don't think so. I think he was actually using some code language that was saying, hey, you will be healed. I think he was saying, by the time you guys get to the priest, your bodies are going to be officially cleansed of leprosy. So what Jesus was saying, guys, go show yourself to the priest, walking in the type of faith that each step you take, you know that you know that you know by the time you get to that priest, you're going to be whole. You're going to be healed. All ten of these lepers did that very thing. So what separated this one leper from the other nine? They all had faith. This guy had something more. He had gratitude. He had gratitude in his heart. How could nine lepers receive so much and respond so little? Why didn't they show more gratitude? I think it's the same reason that we don't show more gratitude. We just don't appreciate what we have sometimes. We kind of bypass the thankful part. I heard a comedian one time talk about these things in a bit that he called, Life is amazing and nobody is happy. Listen to what he says. He says, remember the rotary phones? Those were the phones that you had to stand next to, and you had to stick your finger in them and rotate them. And you hated those people who had more than one zero in their number because it was just way too much work. Now you've got this generation of people who get impatient when they don't have a fast internet connection. It's like, give it a second. It's going to space. The signal is going to space. Get it a, give it a second to get back from space. And what about flying on an airplane, he says, and getting high-speed internet? Then it goes out. 
The guy next to you said, that's crap. I mean, really? Just flying on an airplane, people will tell you some of the worst stories. They act like it was like riding on a cattle car in West Germany when people should be saying, oh my gosh, we are flying. The thing is, you're sitting in a chair thousands of miles in the sky. I think that's pretty amazing. But the truth is, and I'll say the sad thing is, we live in a very amazing world, and we're still not grateful. We live in a very amazing world. It's amazing all around us, and we're still not thankful. So I just want you to ask yourselves today a couple simple questions. The first one is, am I a thankful person? Am I a thankful person? Ask yourself, are you a thankful person? I heard a story about a mom and dad who brought their son into their living room one day to have a stern conversation about his report card. He had got all F's on his report card. His dad's standing there holding the report card in his hand and says, Son, what do you have to show for yourself? The son looked at his dad and said, Dad, well, you could be proud for me. You could be proud of me. His dad said, Proud? What in the world do you mean proud for a great a report card like this? The son said, Well, you could be proud of me because for one thing, you know that I didn't cheat. <laughs> I didn't cheat. Well, I guess you could be thankful for that. I heard another powerful quote that said, what if all you had today is what you thanked him for yesterday? Do you hear that? What if all you have today is what you thank God for yesterday? When you put it that way, some of us might not have much, sad to say. What did you thank him for yesterday? What have you thanked him for today? But the great thing about our God is he's still good. He's still good to his children. He still loves his children, still loves all of us. But I think it shows us one thing with this whole story. It's very possible to receive God's greatest gifts even with an unthankful heart. Amen? Nine of the ten lepers did that. I think it shows the goodness of our God. Amen? And here's another truth. Speaking personally, everything I have has been given to me. Every single thing. There's nothing that I have that I've actually gotten by myself. Nothing. My health, my intelligence, my abilities, it all comes from God. So I'm just saying everything that I have, and I know the same is true for you, everything that you have actually comes from God. It's a, a direct result of God's love, His presence in our lives, His blessings in our lives. But listen to what Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17 uh, says about this. It says, You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce the wealth. What's that saying? All of our blessings come from Him in the first place. But I think this is describing an attitude that way too many people have. An attitude that says, nobody ever gave me anything. I had to work hard for everything. You know, God hates that attitude, and you know why? It's pride. Pride is actually self-worship. And do you realize it was that kind of pride that got Satan kicked out of heaven? You know, everything that you value is a God thing. If you've got a husband or a wife that you love and they love you, that's a God thing. If you have a child that's brought joy into your heart like you've never known before, in a way that you love that child like you never thought you could love anyone before, that's a God thing. If you're out there and and uh, you've got a car with gas in it, 
if you've got a house that has heat in it, if you've got a refrigerator door that you open up and has food in it, that's a God thing. Did you see a sunrise this week? That's a God thing. Did you smell the smoke and hear the crackling of a fire as you were raking leaves the other day? Did you laugh out loud? Those are all God things. How about this one? Did you take a breath last week? That's a God thing. I heard that we take about 23,000 breaths per day. And every one of those breaths is a gift from God. And the next breath that we'll be able to take is a gift from God. Amen? It's all a God thing. The second question I want you to ask yourself is, do I choose thankfulness over complaining? Do I choose to be thankful instead of complaining? In Budapest, a man went to his rabbi, and he was just telling his rabbi that life is just unbearable, rabbi, because there's nine of our family members living in a one-room house. He said, I don't know what to do. The rabbi says, I tell you what to do. Go home, get one of your goats, put it in the house with all nine of you. Let it stay in there for a week. The guy's kind of hesitant, thinking, I don't think that's a good idea. The rabbi says, trust me. Well, he does it. A week later, he comes back, and he says, Rabbi, life is more unbearable now than it's ever been before. That dirty, smelly, stinky goat is making us all miserable. The rabbi says, okay, now it's time to go back. Take the goat out of your house. Come back and see me in a week. A week later, the rabbi comes back, and he uh, smiles from ear to ear. He's overwhelmed with joy. He said, life is so good now that we've taken that goat out of the house and there's only the nine of us. Think about that. What changed? His perspective. Think about it. A critical spirit will keep us from being thankful for all the things that we have. So my question is, are we choosing thankfulness over complaining? And are you choosing thankfulness right now when you could be complaining? Remember, attitudes are just a pattern of thinking that are formed over a long period of time. It takes time, and it takes effort to develop the right kind of attitude, especially when it comes to giving thanks. I heard about a 12-year-old boy named David. He was born without an immune system. He underwent a bone marrow transplant in order to correct the deficiency. But up until that point, this little guy had spent his entire life in a plastic bubble to protect him from germs and viruses and sicknesses and diseases that could have killed him. And think about it, he lived without ever knowing human contact. But when asked what he'd like to do if and when he was released from that protective bubble, you know what he said? He said, I want to walk barefoot on the grass with my bare feet. I want to walk barefoot on the grass and I want to touch my mama's hand. He had never done those things before. Church, when I hear that, we need to get this right. We have so much, but we thank so little. We have it so good, but we express it so little. Amen? We're all guilty. You might say, well, how can I have that kind of thankfulness? Let me give you a little practical way that maybe it would help. How about going out and getting some of those little recipe cards, three by fives, or maybe a little notepad? Set it beside your bed. Set it beside your bed, and every night before you go to sleep, Write down one thing, just one thing that you're thankful for. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be a little thing. It could be uh, something that God has done in your life. It could be an answered prayer. It could be uh, uh, someone uh, that God has put across your path. It could be uh, your car, your house, your possessions. It could be anything, but write it down. Something that you're thankful for. Go to sleep. 
And the next day, the first thing I want you to do is reach over, pick up that notepad, and look what you wrote down, what you were thankful for. I believe it can change your life. I believe it can absolutely change your life. You know, nobody's life is perfect. We all have things that we could complain about, but I believe with all of my heart we could dilute a whole lot of complaining by having more thankfulness in our hearts. When it comes down to it, it's a matter of perspective. It's what we're focusing on. And I believe God's fullness, the fullness of joy, love, peace, all of His fullness comes to those that make a choice to stop complaining and start thanking. That's my challenge to everyone out there today. Make a choice. Gratitude is a choice. Make a choice that I'm not going to complain, but I'm going to praise God. I'm going to be thankful to God for all that He's done in my life. Could you do that with me? Could you bow your hearts in prayer? Lord God, I pray that you would help us all to realize that the key to true joy is having a thankful heart. It's having a heart that realizes everything that we have comes from you. And Lord God, if we don't see it that way right now, I pray that you would help us to see it that way. I pray you'd change our hearts, change our perspective, and fill us with thanks. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, this coming Thursday, most of us will be gathering around a table with family and friends, uh, enjoying a, an awesome meal, all in a way to uh, remember to be thankful. But I want to challenge all of you today to be thankful for the most important thing that we have to be thankful for, and that's Jesus Christ and what He did on a cross for us. You know, today we're going to gather around another table. I mentioned we're going to have communion. If you've got your communion elements, I'd like you to uh, take the bread in your hand. Calvary is the greatest miracle that ever took place. And I believe every time, as the Scripture says, when we take communion, we're remembering that day, that sacrifice, the loving heart of God that sent His own Son to die on a cross for you and me. So today, this bread actually represents His body, the body of Christ, that was broken for us so that we could be made whole. Could you bow your hearts as I ask God's blessing upon this bread? Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I hold this piece of bread in my hand. We do this together in remembrance of what you've done for us through your Son, Jesus Christ that He freely gave of His body. He allowed His body to be broken so that we could be made whole, so that we could be restored. I pray Your blessing to be upon this bread. I pray that as we take it in communion, that it would become all that You desire it to be. And I pray that our walk with You would grow even closer by remembering this special moment. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you have your juice with you, this little cup filled with juice represents the blood of Jesus that was shed on Calvary so that our sins could be forgiven. The blood of the Lamb of God. In the Old Testament, they sacrificed animals and took their blood. But when Jesus came as the blood, as the Lamb of God, His blood was the sacrifice once and for all. So, Father God, today is we remember what you did through your Son, the shedding of His blood so that we could be forgiven of our sins. 
and we could be restored in a relationship with our Heavenly Father. I thank you for what this cup represents, and I ask your blessing to be upon it in a special way as we remember your sacrifice. I pray that you would bless this cup, you would bless this moment, that you would make this representation of your blood all that you desire to be in our lives today to draw our hearts closer to you. I thank you for blessing it as we partake together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God is such a good God. I'm so thankful that you've been able to share this time with us, the message with us. But I want to close in prayer and just thank God for all that he's done. You know, Thanksgiving ought to be an everyday thing, not just this coming Thursday thing, not just once a year thing. So could you bow your hearts in prayer? Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, your son, we thank you today for all that you've done. We thank you for all that you've provided. We pray, Lord God, that our hearts would grow nearer to you and dearer to you each and every day. I pray that you would have your way in our lives. And I pray that if we don't have a thankful heart right now, that you'd develop that in us that we would have a heart that would love you and thank you each and every day. I give you praise, glory, and honor in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week and have a wonderful Thanksgiving. See you next week. What's that?